This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and I am joined, as always, by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, I feel like we're picking up a little bit of momentum with this podcast. I had a couple of people reach out, tell me that this is their favorite new podcast. I feel like that's a lot of pressure for me. I know you're cool and calm under pressure all the time, but but how are you feeling about these early reviews and being back for number three? I'm feeling good. I mean, I'm glad that people like it, first and foremost. Obviously, we're trying to provide a service of sorts and also entertain. So it's good that people are getting something out of it. And, um, you know, we want to have uh, a little bit of a dialogue, you know, outside of the peristyle and, you know, people be able to hear our voice and <laughs> what we're thinking uh, outside of those scripted, uh, well thought out posts that we that we have on the peristyle, you know, but um, I don't know, is this going to be a free podcast again? Or are we doing this with premium subscribers? No, this is all free. I mean, there'll probably all be free. some premium in the future, but right now, you know, we're we're giving You're it to the masses. You're just them in. You're just luring them in with a little bit, and then all of a sudden, it's yeah, like this is that. just like, a taste. All of a sudden, the rates go up. This is, okay, yeah, I understand. This is just I, see, a taste. I see your uh, business acumen in the play. So, all right, what are we talking about this week, Mister Trevino? We took a break last week, so we let some stuff build up. Um, it was actually supposed to be a much busier recruiting weekend for us to talk about. Uh, there was a big uh, Adidas event. I still don't actually know what you were referring to when you kept you just kept saying Adidas is this weekend. Adidas is this weekend, and they were like, "Oh, Adidas is canceled." I still don't know what it was. If it was a combine or a passing event or a, or, a, or a regional or something, I do not know what you were talking about because you just talk in titles. Adidas, Elite Eleven. Adidas, you just know yeah, it, how, Adidas, how it goes. It, it was a passing tournament. They had regional passing tournaments and Adidas has a national passing tournament, but evidently some of the staff members that were running that tournament left earlier in the year. So uh, that is no longer a thing, Um, you know, coming away from the COVID shutdowns and everything going on with travel. uh, A lot of stuff has sort of gotten um, off the rails a little bit from the routine, which, which is not totally bad. I mean, we've had a few weeks off here, which is kind of rare in spring. You know, we go back to like 2019, there were like two events every weekend. <laughs> there was passing tournaments on top of passing tournaments, you know, guys were having passing tournaments in their backyard. Um, so it's been a lot different. And I think again, you know, the, everybody's kind of trying to sort things out. And the other thing that We've seen a lot this off season is there's a lot more unofficial visits being taken. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids are gone and they're on tours and they're visiting schools outside the region. Um, maybe because travel is still fairly cheap. Uh, there's a lot more of that going on. So, you know, USC's had three prospect days since the beginning of the year Four, if you're counting that small little event they had in December uh, with some of the local players, 
So, yeah, a lot of schools just trying to get kids on campus as much as possible to build those relationships and the travel is cheap. Then they bring them in and they have their have them there in person. And obviously that goes even further. And, and when the players want to get there and there has to be some expense paid to get there, it lets those schools know that those prospects are serious about them. Gerard, you make my job so much easier because obviously we're going I'm going to use that as a great transition into the cold open this week, which is the elite prospect day that USC uh, hosted this this weekend. And we got a lot of other stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about, obviously, Josh Connerly, the big five-star tackle. He took his official visit this weekend as well. Um, a couple of big crystal balls that came in this weekend. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit of a hypothetical O-line class. I kind of put it on the P earlier this week, and it got a good discussion going. So, And you wanted to talk about that on the pod, so we're going to do that. And then maybe a little bit about this Sam Baker O-line D-line initiative that kind of came out uh, late last week, a uh, story that I kind of broke. Um, I know people are probably interested in hearing your thoughts on that. But for the cold open this week, we're back to talking about another junior day, which isn't really a junior day. It was titled an elite prospect day. Um, but this one was a little bit different than the ones that you know we've covered so far under the Lincoln Riley and his staff, and that this was during spring camp. So you know what that means. A lot of prospects were on campus to watch practice. You know, they got to go in the meeting rooms. They got to be out there on the field. And obviously for a lot of them, this was their first opportunity to see how these guys coach. You know, outside of Dante Williams, I'm sure a lot of these guys aren't really familiar how these guys practice or how these guys uh, coach their position groups. So there's a good mix. There was, you know, some guys that had been there before, you know, some guys that this they were making their first trip out. Some guys, Malachi Crawford, he's been up there several times. He was back on there again. Uh, the big boss, uh, not, excuse me, modern day offensive lineman, DeAndre Carter and Brandon Baker, the 2024 guys, they were there. Uh, Brandon Baker actually left with an offer. Um, Peyton Woodyard out of Bosco, he was back on campus. Mateo Ugielele, you know, he's been up there maybe, what, 100 times since Lincoln Riley. He was there again, which is another great sign for USC and his recruitment. Uh, Christian Pierce, uh, the local safety, Terrence Green, the big uh, three-star, six-foot-five Texas defensive lineman. He made his first trip out. Amos Talalele, I think I said that right, uh, the Santa Clarita or Santa Clara defensive line, offensive line prospect. He made it out on campus. So some big boys on campus, and obviously Josh Connerly was around at that time as well, taking in practice. So Gerard, anything you want to talk about there with that group? Well, I mean, you teased it, and it's uh, a lot of lineman talk. And that, uh, the peristyle wants to hear about that. That's very tasty for the peristyle. Uh, it is uh, a group of very cultured football fans who understand that it begins in the trenches, and sometimes it ends in the trenches. And so getting offensive linemen on campus and having a chance at uh, numerous offensive tackles because that's always the difficult position to recruit. You know, you can sort of recruit tackles to play guard, but you can't usually play uh, recruit ta- uh, guards to play tackles. I screwed up my own little uh, city there. <laughs> but that's the important thing, getting a guy like Lucas Simmons, who very raw, um, sort of in the Eliza Jacket um, category of offensive tackle. Eliza Jacket being uh, the 6'7", 280-pound offensive tackle from Orange, California, uh, a guy that hasn't played against great competition, but you see that length and you see his height and you see some athletic ability there. 
and you just like that he's a guy that's going to be able to play off the edge. And USC, when he went down to that second junior day, talked to him about playing right tackle specifically. Now, with Lucas Simmons, he looks like he's probably going to be more of a left tackle and recruited to do so uh, originally from Sweden. Uh, so, you know, he's a big Inve Malstein fan. Um, <laughs> I know you're a big Inve Malstein fan, too, so that reference does not go over your head, Chris. It, no, I, uh, I got it. did not go over. I got it. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, a guy that's an, a legit offensive tackle. And, and when you look at that list, and we'll get into that little hypothetical uh, post that you made, which I think, I mean, that's, that's where USC fans want to be. That's what they want to talk about. They want to talk about how they can stack the offensive and defensive lines because that's obviously been a big issue under the Clay Hilton era and, and not being able to have consistent offensive line play, not being able to run the ball, not being able to do those sort of fundamental things that Trojan fans that have watched USC just going back to the peak carrier. We're not going back to tailback you. We're not even going to go back to like John Robinson. And there's plenty of folks that remember those days, but just going back to the Pete Carroll era and understanding what makes, what does a USC championship football team look like, right? What does it look like? And so that's always going to have reference. That's always going to be sort of like the frame of mind when you're talking about putting together a team that's going to be successful. And clearly that was not what Clay Helton had and they struggled to be able to do that. And so they shifted their, 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 scheme and and their their philosophies towards more of an air raid and it just didn't work it it didn't look right it didn't feel right a lot of people felt like that was just a desperate sort of move um to to just get enough wins to basically keep clay helton employed you know keep that seven eight wins nine wins you know maybe occasionally you make a run at a rose bowl um but it obviously didn't work out that way so when people think of championship football in USC, it's like Miami, you know, the Miami hurricanes. When you think of Miami hurricane football and when they're good, they can run the ball, man. They've got guys like Willis McGahee. They've got Clinton Portis. Uh, the same thing with USC. And it's not just the running backs, but it's the guys that are letting those running backs get open. And that's going to be the offensive line. So yeah, you get a guy like Lucas Simmons uh, on campus. At the same time, you've got Josh Connerly. That's just a very interesting dynamic that you've got, the number one offensive tackle in the 2023 class, um, or excuse me, the 2022 class. I'm already, I'm thinking Josh Connerly. <laughs> he's he's still 2022. He's the last, uh, the holdout for 2022. And then you've got you're thinking of Francis, uh, number one offensive tackle for 2023. Mariaga, yeah, we got we got to we got to pump the brakes on that because that's going to get us right into that hypothetical class. And I'm trying not to go full in on that and still talk about the prospect day, but I mean, it's just. Like if there's not something that sort of signifies that symbolic of the the pivot that USC has made on the recruiting trail in terms of, you know, where they're going and the direction and the possibilities and the traction that they have, it's the fact that you're able to overlap the 2022 class and the 2023 class with two of the top offensive tackles, legit offensive tackles on the board, on the campus, on the same day. That's huge. That's just that's really big. You got Brandon Baker as well. You know, to another, you know, there we go for 2022, 2023, and 2024. And by the way, DeAndre Carter was also on campus as well as one of the top offensive linemen in the 2024 class. So that's right there for you. That's, you, I mean, if that's everything USC fans want to see change about the program from a recruiting standpoint. And I think I said something in the war room last week 
to not to give them a bunch of premium war room information to all the casuals out there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I said something to the effect that I think when USC is a championship team, for me, the, the sort of bullet points are you recruit well at the offensive line. You get good offensive linemen out of high school, and you're able to get those guys, and you're not necessarily going to have to uh, focus completely on development. You're going to have some talent there and be able to plug some guys in. I think along the defensive front seven is where you've got to have really good player development because you're not going to be able to just recruit a bunch of five-star guys from the South and from Texas and fill your roster. You're going to have to, if you're on the West Coast, develop your front seven players. You're going to have to have a guy like Champ Simmons as a linebacker step up and be a guy when nobody thought he was going to be a guy. You've got to have uh, certain players that maybe three-star guys like a Christian Rector or somebody like that, that you can develop into better players. Not to say that, you know, hey, you want to get Leonard Williams and you want to get some of those guys, but you're really sprinkling in the top-tier talent a lot more than I think you can on offensive line. Offensive line, I think you can go get those premier guys, you know, every year and be able to have a stacked offensive line. But defensive line, that front seven, you've got to develop those players. And then you've got to have elite quarterback play, which is – probably a lot easier for USC to get than most players or most schools uh, around the country, you know, because there seems to be always on the West coast in the West region, some of the top players at the quarterback position. And that's huge in college football. That's absolutely huge to be able to have a guy that, you know, has his hand on the ball in almost every play offensively um, and is going to be a guy that's directing your team as sort of the coach on the field. Uh, That's, that's a huge advantage for Lincoln Riley to not have to like, go national for that player every year, he's probably going to be pretty close. So distance is never going to be a factor. I think those are the three aspects of a championship team for USC. It's, you know, recruit well on the offensive line, which they haven't done, develop your front seven defensive players, uh, which they've been kind of a mixed bag on, and get elite quarterback play, which they've had some elite quarterback play. And that's, I think, why you know, Clay Helton was you know, employed as long as he was at USC. It reminds me of last the first week of uh usc practice there was like you know how sometimes like random fans will come wait by the tunnel for the coaches or the players there was someone who was waiting for lincoln riley and when he shook his hands he told him straight to his face we need some big uglies in the trenches and lincoln riley kind of smiled and laughed and he said you ain't lying so obviously there's been an emphasis on uh, offensive line across you know, 2022, whether that be the transfer portal or a guy like Josh Connerly, 2023 is shaping up to be a monster sort of rebuilding or that replenishing class where you get you refill those that war chest for offensive linemen. And again, I know you're excited to talk about this hypothetical class I built and add to it and tinker it with it a little bit. Um, but just talking to Brandon Baker and then Andrew Ivins out in Florida, he got an interview with Lucas Simmons uh, about his trip and you know, both of those guys raved. Lucas especially was blown away by this trip, and it seems like they've significantly moved up in his recruitment. He plans to make another visit back out here soon. So I think right now, you know, USC is in a really good spot uh, for that big tackle. Who is moving up significantly in the rankings? I don't believe he was ranked in the two, top 247 at all, and then he on our last re-rank, he jumped up all the way into the top 150. So He's you know, a fast rising guy. He's a guy who you know could move up into that top 100 with a really good uh, you know senior season. And he's obviously still raw, you know, coming from Sweden, kind of that international prospect, really high ceiling. And then obviously Connerly, 
uh, Brandon Huffman, obviously the guy to know in Washington recruiting out there. You know, he he got him uh, for a visit recap, and you know they went all out for him. We're going to talk a little bit more that about that in detail, but it sounds like you know for all those offensive linemen, they really hit it out of the park uh, this weekend with their rolling out the red carpet for them. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at Lucas Simmons now. Yeah, he's up to number 15 tackle nationally, 136 or 24-7 sports, number 25 prospect in Florida. I mean, he's playing at Clearwater Academy International, which is obviously a smaller uh, school. And so I think competition level obviously would be a question for him. Um, But, you know, I think another thing that's just kind of people eyeballing him lately is he's listed 300 pounds now. And I think he was – something like 270, 260 or something earlier in the process. And so, you know, you get an eyeball on him and you see he's filling out and he's, he's doing the, uh, the thing that he needs to do in the off season um, to, to gain that weight and still maintain his flexibility, still maintain his athleticism. And so that's a big deal. I mean, USC was in a real good spot for him even coming in. And so I think this sort of solidifies them as, as, as maybe his top school right now. Um, he's a different kid, like you said, international kid. He's coming from Sweden. Uh, I think he's maybe a bigger picture type of, of, of athlete, and certainly NIL comes into play with that. But just the education at USC, I think, is a big deal, the degree. And so this is not like the prototypical SEC kid that you know is, is coming from the rural south. Uh, he's got a completely different background to him, and I think that bodes well for USC. He's not really like um, – he's got 34 scholarship offers. So, I mean, he yeah, he's blowing up. I think uh, it's it's one of those things that, again, it's pretty crazy to think, you know, top two, 2024 going all the way to 2022, and you've got all those guys on campus at the same time. Um, I don't I don't know if their paths crossed at all. Um, Brandon talked to Connolly and, and that was, you know, I, I think USC probably did a good job of focusing in and trying to make sure that they were recruiting each of those guys individually. But, you know, us, when we take a step back and we look at the big picture, I mean, that's just a, a huge pivot for USC, a huge turn if they're able to start landing these guys and starting to, you know, like you said, that war chest, you know, you start to stock it full of, of big guys and everything the skill players are going to fall into place for USC. They're going to get the guys like Adoree Jackson and Juju Smith uh, and, and, you know, Reggie Bush, everybody's been searching for Reggie Bush. Uh, USC with Pete Carroll was looking for Reggie Bush. Um, they almost found him with Percy Harvin. Um, and they missed out on him. That's, I mean, I actually, that whole story we'll, we can talk about another time, but just that pursuit outside of, you know, his official visit and everything that went on. And they had Michael Goodson that year that they were trying to get, um, Michael Goodson was actually higher on the board than I think any running back prospect they were trying to get to replace Reggie Bush. That was the year that they were going to replace Reggie Bush. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, 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 with a guy like Reggie, he's a generational talent, you know, you don't just say, yeah, you know, the Reggie Bush will be around the corner. That's not necessarily true, but you're going to get tons of good skill players. And if you've got the good line play at USC, everybody knows, I think everybody knows it. Everybody knows SC's going to be in in the college football playoff, if those are the type of players that they're recruiting and they've got good coaching, you know, it's just, it's one of those combinations that um, it's tough to beat. Yeah. I mean, going back to what you just mentioned, Baker and those guys did overlap when I talked to him, you know, he said he did get a chance to talk to Connerly, did get a chance to talk to Lucas Simmons. 
uh, while they were there because obviously they were in the meeting room together with uh, Coach Henson. And obviously on the practice field, they were all over there kind of watching uh, him coach and how the offensive line does practice. Um, and obviously he was with his boy, uh, DeAndre Carter. So, yeah, definitely all those guys got to mingle and kind of uh, mix about. Um, and you did mention the Reggie Bush, Percy Harvin story on our last podcast. And a lot of people really liked that. I think someone even wrote in that said they they love that story. So if you want to give an even deeper dive into that at some point in a future podcast, I, I'm sure no one's going to stop you. Yeah, we'll have to segue probably talking about like running backs or something because it was in and amongst that huge running back class that they brought in and you had Stefan Johnson, you had CJ Gable and there was so much going on. And the, the, it's funny if, you know, I think CJ Spiller was in there and that was a, that in itself, anybody who's a peristyle veteran knows was a, was an interesting story. I mean, I think I've told the Mike Goodson story or just, you know, sort of some of the background about his recruitment. He went on to, to play at Texas A&M and for the Panthers, and he was a good player uh, for them. He, he had issues, though. I mean, he had issues that came out, you know, when he was in the NFL. So you can imagine as a high school kid who's, you know, a high four-star, five-star guy, uh, there's a lot of weird stuff that was going on. So um, I think we talked about that a little bit. But, yeah, that, that's a, that's like almost a podcast in itself that year and trying to replace Reggie Bush, you know, and, and, and trying to replace Reggie Bush every year after. And still – to, to a large extent, trying to replace Reggie Bush. I mean, he was that dynamic, and and he and the thing is, USC won championships with him, and that you know makes it even more uh, uh, him more iconic. Um, uh, but you know, interestingly enough, it's not like USC's been chasing to to replace Matt Leiner. You know, different sort of circumstances, different type of player. Maybe because it had really good quarterback play, they've had guys that were maybe more hype coming out of high school. Matt Leiner was really good out of high school, but I, he didn't have like the five-star crazy over-the-top hype that uh, some of the other guys that USC has recruited post those teams, you know, guys like Mark Sanchez. I mean, J, J.D. Booty was really probably as hyped as anybody coming out of high school, um, coming out of Shreveport, Vangel Christian. That was like this small high school that his dad was, I think, the AD of. And he came out a whole year early to enroll USC, which was very, very rare back then to reclassify. And so, um, yeah, I mean, they've had like some some pretty iconic guys come and go since Matt Liner. But Reggie Bush, yeah, there's still, you know, that running back. And I guess with the tailback U tradition, um, it's just been difficult to sort of have that kind of guy. And uh, again, he's a generational talent. So you don't want to necessarily say this guy or that guy is going to you know replace him but certainly if they would have gotten percy harvin uh, michael goodson probably not as much i think that was just pete carroll loved michael goodson i think that was all pete um they also had cj spiller in that class too so i mean between cj and harvin if they would have gotten one of those guys you wonder if they wouldn't have been able to win another championship Gerard, i gotta focus you back because you're talking too much about the skill guys you're talking too much about the pretty boys we're talking about the big uglies today we gotta we gotta go back to the big guys the beefy guys and that and that starts with 2022's Josh Connerly took the official visit, got a crystal ball in the process. I know you're you're boycotting crystal balls right now, but I put in a crystal <laughs> ball for uh, Josh Connerly as well. I jumped on that 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 uh, crystal ball train. <laughs> yeah, I, I jumped in there. I just I just wanted to be the a little little piece of, of it. I just wanted to be yeah. a part of it. I don't need to drive the car. I just wanted to be you know on the. I just wanted to be on it. So I'm on I'll the Josh Connerly. 
Brandon is the guy. Like, you know, Brandon, that's what everybody, he's the guy that's got the relationship. He's the guy with the, the best sources on that. You know, our sources are a little more one-sided on Josh Connerly. And, you know, they're they're confident, but it's like, well, that's because, you know, USC is confident. And you want the sort of outside, closer to Josh Connerly sources to be able to verify, you know, where he is and, and how things are going. And so everybody was just waiting for Huff to make that crystal ball, which I think we felt was going to happen. I mean, he was pretty confident even before the visit uh, that, that USC was probably going to be the choice. And we're still uh, confident, I think, all around on both sides of the fence that USC is going to be the choice. So, yeah, that's absolutely huge. Um, he is potentially one of those Sean Cody type of uh, cornerstone recruits okay. uh, for okay. for Lincoln Riley. He's he's absolutely one of those guys that if and we say if Lincoln Riley is able to rally the troops and get USC back on track to being a national championship contender team year in and year out, people are going to look back and go Connerly was the guy. That was the guy that USC had missed on for three straight cycles. They just didn't come close to getting a guy that was a franchise tight tackle. And obviously Josh Connolly has to do his part as well. He has to be a good player like Sean Cody was and be a guy that, you know, sort of stood out and was a, a big contributor to championship teams. But you can see where the correlations are with that. And Connerly now gave USC a lot of shots to recruit him, even with Clay Helton there and then playing badly. Um, you know, he was in you, he was, he was in Los Angeles on his own dime. On his own dime. Yeah. Yeah, he's got family down here, so he was uh, down here like six times in four months. You know, was was down at a bunch of games, and we're going, gosh, Chuck, gosh, Josh Connolly's down here again. Oh, that's wild. That's crazy. I mean, you know, and they credit to that, you know, support staff because they were really the only ones recruiting during that season. That point, I think a lot of the full time coaches checked out. They got some guys on campus. You know, they got you know Devon Campbell was on campus. Um, they had. Uh, um, Nito, uh, Imizulu, Amizulu on campus. They had a bunch of guys that were um, good players that kept taking unofficial visits, and it was like, yeah, that's that product on the field, man. Is oh, that's hard to recruit around, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, credit Josh to Dante there guys, too. Yeah, I mean, they they did a fantastic job with that. Um, a lot of credit to to that sort of uh, that interim staff, uh, support staff, especially. Um, guys like Mondo Hawkins and, uh, you know, just uh, the, the entire staff that was trying to just keep it going, you know, to some extent. And Dante Williams was obviously recruiting his butt off. And um, unfortunately, it was just one of those things. I've talked to a lot of the 2023 kids that took official visits during that time. I'm like, you got to basically see the worst of USC. Like, you literally <laughs> got to see the rock bottom of where USC has been. Four wins in a season, like, you know, the Coliseum is empty. Uh, that was rough. That was rough. Getting and, smacked and, by BYU. Yeah, I mean, just, yeah, I mean, getting obliterated. Oregon by State. Like Oregon <laughs> State. Like, oh, my gosh. Stanford. If, you got to think about, like, you know, a, a kid that was there uh, unofficially during that time, you know, watching the Utah game or, or, or one of those games. And if USC is able to, like, really make a run early in the season, right? And string together some wins and people really come out to watch USC football. Like it's going to be one of the biggest one eighties 
that you could ever see as a recruit, you know, like, I mean, cause I look back at those days of USC opening up at home against Arkansas. I remember that, you know, that was the 2005 when they were coming back from that championship year and you got Reggie and you got liner. And that was just that crazy, that crazy season. It was just nuts. And that opening game and you've got 93,000 people. Now the Coliseum doesn't hold 93,000 people anymore, but at that time it was 93,000 plus and it was just filled to the brim and it was nothing but just camera flashes. I mean, these days it would be cell phone lights. Um, but back then we still, you still had people that, you know, disposable cameras and stuff and it, it was camera flashes just as they came out of the tunnel it was like, man, goosebump city. And so it gets like that at USC, but you've got to build a champion. If you build it, they will come. Were you at that game or are you watching on TV? No, no, I was at that game. Okay. Um, I was I was at the game. I think just as a fan. I, I don't. I think we were in the thundering herd uh, for that game, and uh, we weren't covering it. Covering it. I think we had like a tailgate and what have you. And yeah, it was just um, off the hook. The, the Fresno State game later in the year was like that. A lot of those games. I mean, that was that was like the showtime, right? That was like the Bulls, you know, going for a three P. That was that year where everybody was like, yeah, I mean, USC is the ticket. Like, that's the team that we want to see celebrities on the sideline. It was a whole nother level. Like, you, it was unrecognizable. And I, I say that to some of the guys even on the staff that, you know, have been on the staff in recent years. I always joke with uh, with Gavin Morris and say, man, I, I, I hope you're around long enough to see how it really looks because this is not it. You know, this is what USC has gone through, even, you know, with sanctions and, and Kiffin and, and Sark and everything, it it just wasn't how uh, it wasn't championship level. Let's just say that. And so, you know, it, it could be that way. It could be that way, or maybe not. You know, we we everybody's writing on paper. You know, USC's going to be a you know top ten team. This, that, and the other. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. You know, there's a lot that has to go into it. Um, so we'll we'll see how it shakes out. But obviously, expectations are pretty high. And uh, if if Lincoln Riley can do that. It's going to be, uh, again, it's going to be pretty pretty interesting to see the turnaround um, just from a support standpoint and just from a, an optics standpoint and, and for recruiting, you know, what, what that does and, and what kind of momentum that can build. Speaking of optics, I know you saw the photo, the Josh Connerly photo that went with Huffman's story where it was him and it pretty much felt like the entire athletic department in the photo with him. There was a tiny baby in the photo, Gerard. They went all out for support staff in that photo with him. What did you make of that? Just everyone just showing how important he was. Yeah. I mean, I just think it was one of those things where it's, it, it, it takes everybody, you know, and USC is, is, is always been good about recruiting under the moniker of Trojan family. You know, that's something big for USC. It's always, it's been something even outside of athletics that people talk about the Trojan family because it's a private school and at one point it was a smaller school. <laughs> it's gotten bigger and bigger. It's a bigger family these days. Um, but I think, you know, that's just reiterating um, that sort of comfort level. And, you know, you've been here, you've been around here. Certainly you've got a new staff that's coming in and Connerly uh, is, is really getting to know that, you know, he was pretty comfortable with the old staff. Um, Josh Henson didn't actually offer him a scholarship when he was down at Texas A&M. That was probably, uh, from what we understand, maybe one of the bigger hurdles for USC to kind of overcome. Um, they did recruit him in Oklahoma, though. He did have a relationship with the old line coach at Oklahoma, and he had a relationship with Lincoln Riley. And he had a really good relationship with Lincoln Riley. And that is important to point out that 
you know, it's one of those things where we, we talked about head coaches that actually recruit, you know, guys like Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer was kind of one of the first guys that was like a lead recruiter on a bunch of guys in the class, you know. Um, even with Pete, Pete was a closer, but Pete wasn't necessarily the guy that was like calling kids every week himself um, to make sure that he had a relationship with all those kids. Um, and, and Nick Saban doesn't do that either. It really, Urban was kind of the first guy to where it's like, who do you talk to from, from Florida? And it, the, the, the position coach is secondary to the conversation. It's, I, I talked to Urban Meyer. And Lincoln Riley's been like that as well, a guy that has been a kind of primary lead recruiter for some of the top players in the class, regardless of the position. And that really helped USC in this instance because while they didn't get the offensive line coach from Oklahoma, they had Lincoln Riley there, and, and, and Lincoln had already had a good relationship with Josh, and there was trust there first and foremost and so um, even though he didn't have a real prior relationship with Josh Hansen from Texas A&M he is now able to build that through Lincoln Riley so that you know I think in in itself with the continuation and the build out of the support staff and everybody involved um, just shows hey you know we're all involved in, in trying to make this happen and uh, we're all excited and happy and to, to me it sort of was like this is awesome. Like, you know, this is going to be this. We're, we're literally like this picture is we're building around this kid. You know, this is one of the big deals for 2022. Obviously, Caleb Williams is, is obviously a big deal, too. I think if Caleb would have done it differently in terms of, you know, how he committed and all that, it would have been similar. Like it would have been a similar picture, mm -hmm. right, if he was coming out of high school and going through that. Um, so, you know, those are two huge guys. And, and again, yeah, Josh Connolly is going to be on campus here uh, over the summer. He's going to be on the team next year. It's, that's you kind of forget about that because you're thinking 2023, 2023. They're making this big push. You got Malachi Nelson. Like, what's going on with the 2023 class? That's the first Lincoln Riley class. That's really the first class where this new coaching staff puts their stamp on it, and they really have to try to build out and try to get some depth as well as try to get some guys that can play initially because USC is going to be down a bit in certain positions, and they're going to have to have some freshmen come in and be playmakers and be guys. And so you're thinking so much about 2023, and then we're getting to 2024, you forget. Todd Connolly's going to be playing next year. He's going to be going in, and he's going to be competing for potentially a starting spot. I don't know if you really want to push a freshman out there at left tackle early on, but this is a franchise guy, and this is a guy that at least you can have – somewhat of those expectations like he's going to be able to at least push to play left tackle and that in itself is good you know just to be able to have a guy there that's going to make your other players better at that position and ultimately the offensive line better as a whole yeah just it's been crazy how much work Lincoln has done I don't think he's even been here like 120 days at USC and you know that class was struggling obviously the 2022 class but if you look at it just looking ahead, assuming, you know, the crystal balls hold up and Connerly picks USC, he's going to push them into a top uh, 50 class in the high school rankings, which considering everything USC went through is pretty commendable for the staff and what they did. And then when you factor in the transfer class, which they're still going to bring in double digit additions per Lincoln Riley, they have the number two transfer class, so it's pretty safe to say that they're going to end up with the number one just based on numbers alone and the guys they plan to bring in or will bring in. You know, they're going to go after some high-profile guys and some new offers have already got out. Um, and when you factor all that in for an overall clash, right now they're at number 10, and that's before double-digit transfer pickups. 
and a potentially Josh Connerly. So, you know, you could be looking at a top five overall class when you factor in both sides of what they were able to scrap together for the high school class and then where they were able to dominate out of the portal. So just impressive all around. To interject, I think overall they're with Connerly, if you do the calculator, I think they're six. Uh, right I now, wouldn't, now be that, that wouldn't be surprised. Could change. I mean, you, you've getting transfers and and what have you um, that that always kind of move that overall ranking. But yeah, I, I mean, they're they're knocking at the door at top five uh, overall when you consider the transfers. And obviously, you've got to consider the transfer. That's college football right now. Maybe that changes in the future, but as of right now, that's a big part of what your football team is going to look like. Excuse me, in August. So yeah, that's a. Uh, that's a huge turnaround. They're gonna get, there's gonna be guys that are gonna continue to transfer in. We talked about that um, back in February. Like this is not the end of it. You know, Caleb Williams is is not the end of it. Uh, there's going to be more players, and we'll see. You know, if they're able to fill out maybe the the defensive side of things. Um, you know, there's going to be some some linebackers and some defensive linemen that are out there, and uh, USC is uh, probably going to be in the conversation for a lot of those guys. There's guys that. I mean, spring ball is not even over for some of these schools and guys are jumping into the portal. It's, 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 it's wild. Like I, the one thing I didn't think is like during spring ball, there would be as many <laughs> transfers out as there have. I mean, USC had some, so now you got to think about when spring ball is over and the dust is sort of settled and where some of these players are with their new coaches and their new schemes and just feeling like, you know what? I want to I want to do something different and jump into the portal and the the, the star power that might be there uh, for for USC here going forward. So yeah, I mean we knew the team was going to look different. Um, it just depended on how different it was going to look. And when we get into the talk of you know spring uh, fall camp and, and previewing uh, what the season is going to look like, we'll start to talk about you know the chemistry issues and things and, and how they're able to pull that together. Um, because that's going to be obviously a big deal when you've got all these kids, sort of a mercenary unit of sorts. You got to get them all on the same page. You can have a bunch of uh, uh, really star players, but you know it's football, and it takes a lot of communication. It takes chemistry. Um, there's a lot of that goes into it, and we see a lot of very talented teams. In fact, in most instances, like the most talented team is not always the team that wins. You know, you see that at so many levels. You see it at the high school level. You see it at college. Um, you see it in seven on seven for, for, for crying out loud. Like you see with the South Florida express comes out to that pylon, uh, turf wars. I mean, they, they, they could have probably had two teams that were, and they would have split it up and been more talented than the best team. I mean, right. they had a bunch of guys and then, you know, they end up losing the semi. It's just one of those things that like, you know, you got a bunch of really good players and it, it's tough to sort that out. You know, I always look back, um, a big, um, sort of formative thing for me watching sports was watching those Chicago Bull teams. I was a Chicago Bulls fan. And I was a Chicago Bulls fan when they were losing the Pistons. That's why I liked the Bulls because Michael Jordan was getting his butt kicked by Bill Lambeer. And I was rooting for the underdog. And they quickly, <laughs> they weren't the underdog anymore. But I watched the transition of like, you know, Michael being like uber, super talented, but the sort of role players that were around him, that were so critical to, to them being a championship team. Michael Jordan was amazing way before, you know, Scottie Pippen stepped up and Horace Grant and like Bill Paxton and guys like uh, John Kerr and, and those guys. But that was what the championship team became. They go and get Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman was a role player for them. He was there to rebound and play defense. 
that's what you do for us, Dennis. They they could have gone out and got a guy that was a scorer or, or another guy to compliment. I mean, the them going out and getting Tony Kukoc ruffled a lot of feathers because it was like another guy like Scottie Pippen. And Scottie Pippen uh, had a contract coming up, and that was like a whole issue. And so I, I really take a lot from – and I, I just, it goes towards that brick-and-mortar theory that I have in terms of building a team where the bricks are the five-star guys, the high four-star guys, the, the All-Americans. Like, that's what everybody sees, how pretty your bricks are. Like, oh, it's a beautiful brick wall. But what's holding it together is the mortar and the rebarb and all that stuff in between. Oh, that's And those spackle. blue guys. Yeah, that – well, not spackle, but <laughs> spackle, I think, is what you put on your wall when you're, like, building a – uh, a, a regular wall, not an actual. I don't know. Do you, do you call it spackle? I think you just call it mortar, right? When you're building a, a brick wall, it shows you how how uh, how how blue collar we are. Yeah, how blue collar we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I took a mace, I took two masonry courses in high school, so uh, building leads. Um, and but it's just mortar and, and rebarb and all this stuff. That that's what's really holding it up. And so yeah, you know, Caleb Williams is amazing, awesome. That's going to be a huge part of it. But yeah, the the guy that they have that's going to be you know the guards and um, the 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 second string defensive end that comes in because somebody gets hurt in the first string like these are the guys again I go back to like Champ Simmons and, and Jason Leach and players that Pete Carroll won with that people were like eh, eh you know okay they're they're okay players but you develop those guys to to, to be champions so that's what USC next season is it's going to be a challenge for them because there's just a lot of guys thrown together here and um you know getting that chemistry and getting everybody on the same page you know that's going to be the difficult part but right now we're in spring and we're talking about you know recruiting and and again you know 2023 and how that's going to be a big year um but even going forward to 2024 with a guy like uh brandon baxter um and uh, and even a big time quarterback that's you know when we're talking about crystal balls a guy that's getting some crystal balls lately. Yeah. Do you want to talk about him right now? You we kind can. Of you was, kind of segued it a little bit. You set it up. That, I, I kind of tried to set it up for you so we could get away from talking about, you know, fall camp and the season. Cause it's so easy as we talk about transfers to talk about what's the end game of that. You know, what's the team look like? So we're not there yet. Like we'll get there folks. <laughs> we're not quite there yet. Uh, we're still in the, uh, the spring off season unofficial visit uh, mayhem mode. Yeah, and obviously you're referring to the the five star 2024 quarterback uh, Dylan Rayola, Rayola, yeah, Dylan Dylan Rayola, Dylan Rayola, um, didn't wasn't there on Saturday, obviously, um, but he was there earlier in the week. You know, you kind of you can round him up into this elite prospect uh, weekend week visit. But I noticed him. I believe it was Thursday of last week. I want I want to say Thursday, but. Um, I noticed him come down on an official visit. He was there unofficial. He was there with his parents, or, or at very least his dad. Um, and they kind of went into practice, and he kind of got got to take in practice. Um, obviously, he's a guy that Lincoln offered. I, I want to say about a month ago, month and a half ago, and kind of told him, you know, you're going to be our our guy for 2024. We're not going to recruit anybody else. And I know Gerard, you're you. That's an interesting move for you, but that's sort of kind of the Lincoln Riley uh, playbook coming out of, you know, recruiting quarterbacks. He did that with Caleb, did that with Malachi, obviously. Um, USC has tried that in the past. Doesn't always work out. I know that's why you think sort of it's a risky move, but I think more people obviously have a lot more trust 
that Lincoln Riley can pull this off. Um, but apparently, you know, that's their guy. They're, and it's interesting because there is a lot of talented West Coast 2024 quarterbacks in the area. We actually have a question about one of those quarterbacks later in our question portion of the of the show. But yeah, to get those crystal balls early, you know, Blair Angulo uh, covers our, our the guys out there in the, the Mountain West region, including Arizona. Um, Dylan being a Texas guy, but they're originally from Arizona um, and they moved back uh, this offseason. So he's now an Arizona prospect again. And he went and pulled the, pulled the trigger on that crystal ball. So two five-star crystal balls this week uh, for USC. So big week for the crystal ball train. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, what, a left tackle and a quarterback. I mean, that's uh, you want to talk about draft. I mean, those, <laughs> those are the guys that get drafted one and two, you know, basically when you're looking at the NFL. Um, so, yeah, Rayola, I, the interesting dynamic is, you know, and we're getting it from one side, uh, sort of what that conversation was and what it was interpreted as, you know, you're going to be our only guy for the 2024 class. I just kind of look at it and say, well, I mean, is it necessary to, to, to say that? I mean, does it really help you recruiting wise? I think something that you mentioned, which is uh, I've heard to the contrary that Lincoln Riley actually told Malachi Nelson that he was going to be the only quarterback that they recruited in that class when he was at Oklahoma is not true. That was not, like a big thing in that recruitment. That was not like the opening salvo was, Hey, yeah, you're going to be our only guy and we're putting everything into you. It just sort of happened that way. Once they got him committed, I didn't really need to look around. Um, so I, I, again, it's just a matter of like, is it, is it necessary? Like, is that something that really, you know, I, I'm sure when that, maybe that conversation happens when, when the quarterback wants to commit, maybe it's like, you know, so what are your plans for this class? Am I the guy for you? And then, then you have that conversation and then the commit comes. I, I don't know if it's something that you need to put out uh, in the initial conversation just because, you know, um, it gets tricky sometimes. And there's multiple good quarterbacks out there that you can recruit. And, um, you know, it gets into one of those situations like USC got with Malachi Nelson. So, I don't know. Um, from that standpoint, obviously, Lincoln Riley's got a lot of success recruiting quarterbacks. And he's had, you know, success also developing those quarterbacks. And uh, and so that's, you know, the key factor there, which is maybe a little different than uh, previous USC coaches. Um, but in terms of, you know, being able to get that squared away, there's an interesting post that came on in the Peristyle. And I don't want to share too much Peristyle information with the casuals. But sure. it was a very uh, spirited thread. I almost had to shut it down, but it was <laughs> a spirited thread about, you know, what does this do with Malachi Nelson? How does Malachi Nelson feel? about USC recruiting a five-star quarterback in the 2024 class right behind him. And I think most of the responses were right on in that Malachi Nelson doesn't even think about that. That's not a factor in his recruitment whatsoever. Um, A factor would be perhaps recruiting a a transfer that would, you know, play in front of him that would have a few more years in front of him, somebody to coincide with Caleb Williams. That's a little more tricky because – you know, certainly they don't have a lot of depth at quarterback right now at USC. They could use another scholarship quarterback. They really need to have another scholarship level quarterback um, to be able to go through the scout team. And I've talked about that at nauseum in terms of, you know, how that affects your team, the depth at quarterback, just because of, you know, your offensive, your offense is, is one thing, like what you're getting from the guys that you're putting out there for the first team and the second team. But a whole different thing is, what your first team defense is seeing in practice 
if they're seeing a walk-on quarterback who doesn't have the arm strength of a legit Division One college scholarship quarterback, they're they're not going to get that look that they necessarily need. So it becomes difficult because your first team and your second team quarterbacks, you've got to have your second team quarterback, which would be Miller Moss in this case, right behind Caleb Williams because if Caleb Williams goes down in the game, you know Miller has to step in. He's got to know the playbooks. He's got to know the install. So it's really your third team quarterback is the guy that is the scout team quarterback that's giving your first team defense a look. So USC doesn't have that right now. And that's, they're in a little weird spot there because, you know, you do have Malachi Nelson committed to 2023. If you bring in a guy that's got a bunch more eligibility, maybe that rocks the boat a little bit. It's, it's just one of those things where you're trying to get a guy, but maybe not a guy that's like an amazing guy. It's just a guy that's a stopgap that could be a good player for you. And it's hard to recruit that out of the transfer portal. You know, a guy's not looking to be the third team quarterback out of the transfer portal. And that's basically what you have. Look, so, I made, I made that argument on tunnel vision, how like, Hey, if you just want me as a guy out of the transfer portal, maybe I was a backup at a group of five school, or maybe I started at a group of five school. Maybe I just want to come in and be a grad transfer uh, do some studying, get a little degree at USC, be the third string, just be, yeah, and work under Lincoln Riley. Maybe I'm looking at maybe being a grad assistant down the line, get to party at USC, be part of this team. Maybe that's just something they can sell to someone, you know, maybe like a group of five guy. You don't need to be a guy who's coming in, pounding his chest like, oh, I'm going to compete with Caleb or I'm going to compete with Miller for the backup job. No, sometimes, you know, you just need a third string guy. Sometimes you just need a guy who's okay with, um, you know, being back there, I would more than certainly be okay being the third string guy. Third string guy at USC, getting my degree and and hanging out, you know, and having fun at USC. That that was where um, my mindset would be if I was one of those group of guy, group of five guys or lower end qu- quarterbacks. But you know, maybe I maybe that's not the right mentality for a quarterback. Sounds like you should be on, you know, uh, the staff there. Maybe uh, have, have you on there to, to recruit the quarterbacks. I mean, th- that's an angle. That's certainly what you're looking for, I think, would be selling a guy that knows that he's not going to go to the NFL and that he wants to get into coaching and selling him on a position on the staff, uh, sort of a, a get your foot in the door, learning the Lincoln-Riley system, and then being able to get your graduate degree and then be on the staff and sort of take that, that role, you know? Um, but again, is that, it's, that's a real sort of, man, a niche, you know, you're looking for a talented player, but not too talented, <laughs> not a guy that's got the quarterback ego. That's like, yeah, I want to go in here and I want to be the guy. Um, that's going to be interesting to see uh, how that, how that shakes out if they're able to get that guy, because again, I, I think, they do need a Division One level guy who's got a Division One level arm to be able to go and throw the ball around against uh, that defense for defense to be able to be prepared week in and week out. Um, but looking, you know, down the line, I think this does not affect Malachi Nelson in the least. Um, and if it did, Malachi Nelson ain't the guy for USC. You know, you can't you know recruit behind a player that's a star player and they don't have the confidence that they're going to be able to win that battle. Um, competitively and and that goes you know the other way when you're talking about Dylan and his mentality that he is looking at USC and favoring USC despite having Malachi Nelson ahead of him you know and and and, and that goes to Malachi as well with Caleb Williams coming in you know Malachi knows that Caleb um, is going to be there 
but he's one of the few players that he 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 wants to sit behind. He wants to mm-hmm. learn from Caleb Williams, and he wants to be mentored by Caleb Williams. So he hits the ground running as a quarterback, and that's fantastic because that I mean that's really what you want as a coach. That's really what you want as a program. Um, getting thrown in there as a freshman as a quarterback is rough. It can go a lot of different ways on you. And so, you know, you want to be set up for success. And that's kind of what I talk about with Josh Connerly coming in as an offensive tackle as a freshman. It's difficult for linemen to come in as freshmen and play, especially when you're hanging out to dry there at left tackle. That's not the position you want to come in as a freshman and blow it. And uh, that's the blind side for Caleb Williams. And all of a sudden you get Caleb Williams hurt because you, you screwed up and you, you know, you didn't play that stunt right. Um, so, you know, you don't want to put that pressure on those guys. You really want to get a guy that can get in the system and hang out and just see, you know, how it is, how the level, the intensity and what have you. And it seems like Dylan, um, is okay with that and, and, and getting in and, and being able to kind of like get a year under his belt, um, or two, just seeing, uh, Malachi Nelson and competing with him, obviously, and, and knowing that at any point in time, you know, Malachi, Caleb, you know, knock on wood, anybody can go down and get hurt. So you have to have those guys ready and you have to have a stack roster. And USC, I mean, listen, the thing that USC can, can always sell, and this has nothing to do with Lincoln Riley, but I'm sure Lincoln Riley is well aware of it, is the fact that Matt Cassell, Matt Castle, who ended up not really playing, but I, I mean, I think he, I don't know if he ever even started a game for USC. I know he came in and played some. There was an Arizona State game where Matt Leiner got knocked out of the game. And Matt Leiner won that quarterback battle, but got knocked out of the game against ASU. And Matt Castle came in for a brief amount of time before Matt Leiner came back in. And after that, Matt was like, they knocked something into Matt because Matt, that was where Matt all of a sudden turned into like Superman. I don't know what happened. He got knocked. Like, I don't know if he got a concussion. He was bleeding in his chin. They took him out of the game. Castle goes in, plays decently, but they're, I think they were still behind in that game and they were struggling against Arizona State. And Matt comes back in, Matt Leiner comes back in second half and just went on a tear for the rest of his career, basically. It was like, what happened? This dude is like unconscious, crazy accurate all of a sudden. I shouldn't say all of a sudden, but I mean, he, his level of play just went up. And I don't know if that was because he saw Matt Castle there and goes, this guy can play. I need to get on it. I need to like, I'm not going to go back in <laughs> if I miss many games here. Or it was just like literally physically something got knocked right. or And, and he just was like, boom. Um, but they ended up getting Matt Castle drafted. And he, and he was, and again, he, I don't think he ever started a game at USC. And Matt Castle went out to be, I believe, a Pro Bowl quarterback. I think he ended with, uh, went to a Pro Bowl with the Patriots. So that's USC. I mean, USC is able to do some things that other schools aren't program-wise um, when it comes to uh, getting players out and getting them drafted. And ultimately, that's what you know everybody's looking for at that level. High four-star guys, five-star guys, they want to go to the NFL, every one of them. So that is ultimately what comes down to their decision, that and the comfort level and and what have you, but it's really like, can you develop me for the NFL level? And so they used to have stacked quarterback rooms, and that's what you have to have in, in college football. Guys can go down, you're going to have injuries, and shoot, we've seen that at USC, obviously. You know, they had three starting quarterbacks in recent years uh, in the same season. So, yeah, you you got to be able to have those talented players, boom, boom, boom. And so this is not something that I think affects that whatsoever. It's really – um, you know, 
if Malachi Nelson comes in, let's say early and all of a sudden establishes himself, I mean, does that affect uh, Dylan Raiola a lot? You know, in looking at playing time, what have you. Um, but I don't think, you know, that, that affects Malachi whatsoever. Just a little ghost producing right now. Uh, he did make a Pro Bowl in 2010. And he did make one start at USC, but it was at H-back against Cal in 2001. So you were kind of half wow. right. Never started at quarterback, wow. started at H-back. Um, and probably this day and age, Macassell probably would have been the transfer portal. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably, probably. But, um, you know, I mean, it's one of those things that you, you – USC is different. USC is just a little different school. And, and, and with NIL, I mean, that maybe that counters something. You know, guys like, hey, you want to go somewhere else with the transfer portal or do you want to stay at USC where, you know, you know, there's going to be some deals here and some things going on? I mean, that – that obviously complicates matters. It's uh, it's wild. We kind of have to see what happens. Sort of the reaction to all this. You know, it's sort of like wild, wild west. And then there's obviously going to be a, a counterweight to some of this. I, I don't think it's just going to be the free for all that it is right now in the future. But that's a whole other conversation for another time. Let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to get into. I know what you really want to talk about. You want to build this hypothetical offensive line class. So let's take a quick break, break, and then we'll be right back. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Gerard, how was your break? It was good. It was good. I got a little tea. I'm feeling a little under weather this week, so I got a little English black breakfast Yeah, tea. I appreciate you pulling through for for all the fans waiting for another composite. So I know you've been under the weather yeah. a little behind the scenes, but you're pushing through. I'm, yeah, I'm good. I, uh, you know, when you put that uh, that post up with your hypothetical offensive line, which I – I think you could get even a little more hypothetical on. Uh, I knew that the peristyle would be very eager to hear us delve in more to this because this is this is this is where it's at for them. This is the ultimate, you know. Every we can, you know, Brandon Enos, five-star wide receiver, visited USC, loves USC. He played with Malachi Nelson this weekend in a seven-on tournament. But can he play offensive tackle? So we tackle? know the peristyle wants to hear about the offensive line. 
Yeah, and sometimes I do this where I kind of, I just kind of have uh, inspiration. I just want to throw a little hypothetical on the P. I just, hey, what would you guys think if USC signed these three running backs? And then I'll leave and just see what kind of mess I created uh, when I come back. So this That's one, trolling, Chris. yes, trolling. yes, sort of a little troll, sort of a little like experiment. Like, what's going to happen? Are they going to like it? Are they going to hate it? So this is the initial. It was just a four man class. Way, how's the tattoo coming? What's what's the update on the tattoo? I've set up my consultation for next week. I'm going to go in. She's going to walk me through designing it and getting that done. So that's where I'm at at the process. You're trying to throw me off my game right now. (laughs) Well, I was just thinking about the troll and I was thinking about that. And it just, uh, that was a good segue. But now back to the offensive line. Yeah. So I just made a hypothetical four man class and. The actual class is probably maybe a little bit bigger, maybe six, maybe five, maybe. But I just went with these four right now, uh, that being Francis Mauoga, the number one offensive tackle in 2023, Lucas Simmons, who we have already talked about at the top of this podcast, Um, Micah Buenelos, the three-star big boy interior guy out of uh, Washington, and then Elijah Page, the six foot six, two eighty offensive tackle out of uh, Arizona, a guy who's kind of blown up a little bit uh, with some offers. Recently picked up Notre Dame, uh, so you know a guy who's approaching, I think, thirty offers or something. So he's got to watch out for that. Maybe gets a bump later down the line. Um, but yeah, that's my four man class. Gerard, I'm ready for you to rip it up. I'm ready for you to to pick it apart, tinker with it. What do you, what do you think? Well, I think the biggest question is going to be how many offensive tackles can USC take and how many can they take that are a high level quality offensive tackles if you do indeed have Josh Connerly commit to USC April 8th, which is going to be live on CBS HQ, by the way. April 8th. Uh, what a plug. April. Great plug, yeah. Drew. Brandon would be proud of me because I think Brandon's probably going to end up hosting that. Probably. Um, but. That's that's going to be interesting to see, you know, if there's some dominoes that sort of fall from that, if, you know, that makes it a little more difficult. Because, again, we're talking about stacking positions. You talk about Malachi Nelson and then Dylan Rayola behind him. You know, can USC do that with that 2022 offensive tackle that's, again, sort of a, a centerpiece for the class? It's just such a huge cornerstone um, get for USC. And then – bring in a guy right behind him that's going to be a quality player. So that that will be interesting to see because you do have um beyond just, you know, the the tackles you talked about Elijah Jacket, Lucas Simmons, and Francis Mayagoa. What about Isaiah Robinson? You know, we haven't heard much about Isaiah Robinson lately. Uh he hasn't been back out here for an unofficial visit yet, but came out for an unofficial visit last year during the season. And again, he was one of those 2023 prospects that saw Rock bottom USC. I mean, just saw a terrible product on the field, and you kind of all of a sudden changed, you know, the the culture and the vibe and the energy and everything. And if they're able to win, is that a guy that can go into Texas and get, you know, a high four star offensive tackle from Texas as well, on top of these guys that you've mentioned? So I think you you know you're always going to over recruit offensive tackle because potentially some of those guys may be able to move inside and play guard. Um, so that's always something to keep in mind when you're talking about hypothetical classes and how many, you know, the numbers that you're trying to take on the offensive line 
you're going to want to over-recruit the offensive tackle position. But as guards go, I mean, another guy you didn't mention was Alani Noah, who is, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a guy, a little kind of floating on the radar. He was 6'4", 320, was down at USC twice uh, for unofficial visits. They really seem to like him. Uh, Simeone Pale, who is another big-time guy that's out of Sacramento. Uh, he's out of Elk Grove, I think, which is just a little outside of Sacramento. Um, again, sort of almost like this, the same body as a 6'4", 320 type. These are mauling-type players and, and clearly guys that Sean Noah – according to those offensive linemen is is finding you know it's funny because you go back to ryan abraham we were talking to the assistant coaches for the first time and they were you know coming out individually and one of the questions that ryan had was you know on the west coast seems like there's less big bodies like what do you do to cultivate those options to get bigger bodies and, and he was talking more about defensive linemen and defensive tackles but in general um you got to have some big bodies. And I think, you know, Sean Noah is, is doing that. Nua, not Noah, Nua, getting confused there. Um, uh, Sean Nua is, is, is doing that and, and finding guys. And those guys have scholarship offers. Those guys are unofficially visiting USC and they're big bodies and um, they're players that you have to kind of keep an eye out for. So uh, I think, you know, a, a five-man def- uh, offensive line class is not out of the question at all. Um, it's going to be a matter of, what quality they're able to get, and does Josh Connolly kind of affect that to some extent? I, I I don't get the vibe he does. I think they can get Francis Maagoa, and I'm saying his, I'm saying his name differently than you because I <laughs> I, I, I I don't know for a hundred percent sure because I've never spoken to him directly. But I mean I don't know if it's Maui Agoa uh, or Maagoa, um, but nevertheless the second one sounded uh, better. The second one's on the clear. Well, there's an eye in there, and you yeah. never know what that eye is going to do. You know, <laughs> I sometimes it, it, it says, hello, it's I'm tricky. an eye. Sometimes it says, I'm an E. Uh, sometimes it just disappears. So uh, with Big Francis from IMG, he has a really good relationship with Sean Nua. And, again, another guy that, you know, Sean Nua, defensive line coach, but, you know, recruiting these offensive linemen and having a good relationship with the poly community and using that pipeline – to be able to cultivate options along the offensive and defensive lines for USC, that's big time. Um, now, can they get Isaiah Robinson out? If they get Josh Connerly committed, does, does he start looking at other schools? You know, Texas is a big player for him. You know, it, it's all like it looks good on paper right now. Obviously, we got to get into the season and everything has to play out. That's going to be a big effect. It's something, you know, talking about the offensive line hypothetical class, it brings up the hypothetical class for 2003 in general. One thing I wanted to bounce off of you, because I was thinking about this the other week, and it kind of came from just talking to prospects, some Trojan fans over the past few weeks, and the kids even, and, and it, really, it really reminded me, like, I, I was thinking about talking to Aaron White, who is the 2025 cornerback commit for USC, the Jets. And, you know, we were talking about, well, what do you, what do you expect from USC this season? You know, he's like a national championship. I'm like, okay, you're a freshman. So let's, let's walk that back. <laughs> you know, I don't think that should be the expectation. I mean, I know that's what you hope, but that necessarily isn't the expectation. And he said, well, I think double the games that they won. And I go, okay, that's reasonable. That's reasonable. And, and, and then, you know, I kind of listen to other people talk and talk to other recruits. And it, it's really interesting the lines 
for for Lincoln Riley and USC and what constitutes a good season from a bad season? What where is that line to where they build momentum and they're able to have a like a legendary class from missing out on maybe three or four guys because they don't win enough games? And I'm getting the vibe it's like seven or eight. Seven wins is uh okay. Uh yeah. Well, it's his first year. Lincoln Riley's, you know, having to rebuild and it's sort of you know, there's 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 some some excuses there. There's and it's not excuses. I mean it's reasonable from our perspective, you know, seeing what the team played like last year, that they only win seven games. But there's like this big difference in perception when you talk about eight games and you're talking about them doubling the wins that they had last year. And I don't know if it's fair or not, but I kind of feel that's the line. That's sort of the Maginot line. That's the, you know, you're either eh season or okay, eight, eight wins. Like we can, we can recruit like a really good class off of this. Now you get in a nine, 10 and you know, you're now you're talking about, okay, that might pick up the momentum to the point where, wow. Okay. This might be like a, a, a real legendary type class, but I mean, I think eight wins from talking to kids is like for a lot of these local guys that that's probably going to be enough for them to, to build that momentum, to have a really like probably, you know, we're talking top 10 class. Um, What do you think? Have you gotten that vibe? Like there's an actual number there that people fall on either side of. I don't think I've actually ever heard, at least from my interviews, this is probably something I should kind of take from you moving forward and kind of, dive a little deeper into the kids I talked to, but I do hear what you're saying about the national championship. I get the national championship expectation for like next year. I get that a lot. And I just get national championship vibes from everyone I talk to, but Brandon Breaker kind of had the most realistic um, take when it came to, you know, the staff talking about national championships. He, he kind of said like, just from everyone I talked to, the realistic expectation for everyone on that staff is a national championship within the next five years, which I think is sort of a fair window to kind of shoot yeah, for. For sure. Um, for sure. Just based off what that 2023 class is and what it looks like, you know, if they win 10 games next year or nine games, you know, obviously that's the potential right there, as you said, to be, you know, probably top five class if you, if, if they can pull that off. Um, but yeah, that five-year window was like the most realistic I've heard from anybody talking because, you know, I, I sat back and I thought about like, oh, that was actually like a realistic uh, answer to that question or a realistic quote to that. Um, but I haven't really heard a specific number. I think eight is fair. I'm, I'm kind of right there with you on that that kind of line. Eight, you could really sell for a big class. I think nine, I think just sort of guarantees you a top 10 class just because you know, you, you can just, we're right there. We're right there from 10 wins. We're right there from those double digit wins. The difference between us and, you know, a 12 and 0 season was, was right there. Um, that's easier to do at a nine win clip. Um, but yeah, I would say that nine, eight win range, seven isn't as sexy as nine, obviously, or eight. So who do they lose if they only win seven? <laughs> who do they like, lose? Yeah. Who's, who's on the peripheral because seven is just, uh, Eh, you go to like a, a, a kind of a lower bowl game. Is there, is, the I, I feel bowl. like, yeah, that's, that's where I, well, I, I, with seven wins, could you get to the Alamo bowl with seven wins? <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't feel know. like I, mean, it's I guess a, it depends on the Pac-12, right? I feel like it's a, a Cedric Baxter 
kind of guy. Uh, yeah. Or a like a southern defensive lineman, like a blue chip defensive lineman, a high four star kind of guy like that. I think you could still reel Cedric in, especially if your your running backs are playing really well, and you're probably going to lose Travis Dye to the NFL draft. You have the space. I think you could still sell it, but I think at seven wins, you know, it's a little bit harder to pull him out of you know that Florida backyard or whatnot. Um, so that's kind of a name out there. I think you're still good with Ennis just because of that relationship, but it, it would probably be like an out of, out of state Southern sec type um, prospect in the, in that, in that, in that area. That's interesting. Cause I mean, I, I think that it potentially may, you know, put you out for even a guy like Mateo Ungulale. I, I think that he's contested. I think he's a guy that, I mean, and it depends all the, obviously on what Oregon is able to do, you know, are they able to have a decent season next year? Um, there's a lot of question marks sort of about what that's going to really look like on the field. You know I mean? It's got a lot of recruiters, but it's like, okay, got a very inexperienced uh, coaching staff um, in terms of, you know, coaching at a high level or, or coaching, you know, at a, at a championship level um, with a coach that's never been a head coach before. Right. I mean, uh, obviously, that's going to impact USC to some extent, but you know, a lot of these California kids have shown over the recent years, they're ready to pack up and go out of state if, uh, if they need to. And so I, I think that there's some guys that are the hotly contested guys more locally that seven wins might not get it done. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, I guess it depends also on like how you lose those games and who you're losing to, you know, what head to head battles, you're losing to, you know, USC losing to Stanford was just terrible, um, you know, for uh, the modern day linebacker who's uh, David Bailey. Um, I was almost going to, I almost blanked out his name. I was looking at his face and go, David Bailey. I, call, I called uh, Brandon Baxter because I was thinking of Cedric Baxter, Brandon Baker, all these names, all these different. This is a weird time because, I mean, this is like we're, we're getting into more and more where recruiting is becoming like multiple classes. Like it's so yeah. wild. Like I remember when I first got into this, it's like, hey, the senior class to be is the class that you're focused on. Everybody else is like, okay, you get to those guys when you get to those guys. And now it's just like, you know, commits and offers and all you this You mentioned stuff. a 2025 like, guy on this podcast already. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were out, um, you know, at the, the Under Armour and just 2026 kids uh, that we're filming and looking at. So, I mean, it, it's definitely uh, the, the, the pool of kids that you're talking about and uh, referring to is always uh, expanding. It seems um, but yeah, I think, you know, even locally, I, I, I get this, I just get this sense, the vibe as, uh, as the kids say, I actually say that all the time too. I, that's a new thing. Like I'm vibing with USC. As I, it's funny to hear kids say that. Cause I'm like, yeah, it's like, yeah, vibe. Yeah, man. Like I, that's not new. <laughs> we, vibe is kind of like, we've all been saying vibe for a long time, but that vibe is like seven is, is, is. Yeah, like you said, not sexy, and you're probably losing some games there that you shouldn't, maybe, or or in the in the perception. See, again, it's you know perception is reality, and people have this perception like, oh, Lincoln Riley, USC, Caleb Williams, boom, that's nine wins, right? Nine wins. Pac-12 is terrible. It's awful conference. They're nine wins, and again, there's a lot of in between stuff that goes on there. You know, there's a lot of like, you know, Caleb might be good for winning a game by himself. He might be good enough to, uh, you know, be that guy. You know, I mean, he, he's, he's got the mobility. And that's the interesting thing we didn't talk about, you know, going back to Dylan Rayola is not a guy that with a lot of running on his film. 
Uh, he's a bit more of a quarterback guy. He's, he's fairly elusive and, and moves well in the pocket, but not a guy that necessarily runs the ball by design, at least not on the film that I see. And so, you know, that's something that USC got away from, you know, after they had Sam Darnold. Um, it's interesting to see that Lincoln Riley is, is looking at those kind of pocket quarterbacks. We know that he did recruit Devin Brown and was looking at Devin Brown before Devin Brown decided to decommit and go to Ohio State. They were going to make that visit out there to Utah to be able to to talk to him and try to maybe, you know, get him back in the loop. So, and, and that's a guy that obviously not a mobile quarterback. So, you know, Lincoln Riley kind of looking at his system and, and willing to do all kinds of different things. That's got to be good for uh, Miller Moss, you know, going forward. He must feel uh, kind of good about that. Cause I mean, you know, you could look at what Lincoln Riley has been really successful with and it's been those guys that have been mobile. That's, that's been the formula for him. It's not been pocket quarterback. It's been guys that can actually run uh, by design. So you're going to run that mesh read zone option. You're going to run like, you know, quarterback sweeps and what have you. Um, so that's interesting dynamic there with uh, Dylan Riola going back to him, um, just initially sort of evaluating based on film. I never seen him in person yet. Uh, I know Blair and Greg have seen him now. Um, I think I think a couple others uh, in the network have seen him play in person. I haven't seen him play in person, um, so I'm going mostly on film. But um, you know the athleticism, how that works uh, with the offense going forward. Um, Malachi Nelson is an athlete. He's a, he, actually funny story. I don't know we're completely off like what we were talking about, but whatever, it's a conversation. You know, recruiting, I know recruiting. This is where it's different than Ryan and I talking about it because you were at the events with me. We see things. Absolutely. One of the one of the, the things that I that I saw and I thought to myself, if Lincoln Riley was here, his heart would be in his throat. Is when Malachi is playing for South Florida Express, and he decided out on a whim to go play receiver. So oh, no. I think it was a two-point conversion, and he throws the touchdown, and he convinces somebody to come in and play. And I think it was one of the receivers that was throwing the ball to him. I, I, I forget. I, I think I have it on film. And he went in for 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 back shoulder fit, and he's it's a fifty-fifty ball jumps in the air, and I'm going, oh my god, <laughs> if he gets hurt doing this, oh. And I I mean I I mean I have to think that everybody that was around him, his coaches, his dad Holy was there. Breath. Everybody was like, what are you doing? Are you serious? That is like, you know, and I mean, it's good that he's out there. He's playing. He's not, you know, trying to, uh, you know, play, play with fear or, or be conservative. I don't want to get hurt. I mean, but that was one of those, that, like that particular play and that particular type of play where you're throwing a 50-50 ball in the corner of the end zone, back shoulder fade, you're jumping in the air, and you've got a defensive back underneath you is just all kinds of bad. That's just, you know, that's like going up for a rebound and somebody's contesting you, and it's just like, oh, man, there's a lot of bad things that can result coming down from that play. So he didn't catch the ball. It was kind of overthrown. But uh, nevertheless, that was, uh, yeah, he, he's an athlete. He's a guy that, he, you know, he doesn't have a lot of that on film, but he is a guy that could definitely run the ball and could definitely gain yards from that. And that's been a very successful thing for college football teams with good offenses just in general. And it gets you out of a lot of bad plays. It's interesting to see uh, how that plays going forward with Dylan Rayla and, and, and how much of his game evolves from that standpoint, um, you know, kind of moving forward. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Miller Moss is sort of a similar guy in terms of being a pocket quarterback. And um, a lot of people are just like, oh, you know, Miller Moss is kind of just the guy that's stuck in the middle between Malachi 
and Caleb, but you know, maybe he's not, maybe, you know, maybe he ends up being sort of like Keaton Slovis, which we all thought was going to be basically a stopgap for USC between JT Daniels and Bryce Young. We saw how that worked out. Just jumping back to your seven win total number, magic number does just very quickly, does the seven win total look better if you beat UCLA and Notre Dame? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it looks better. In his first year, Pete went 6-6, six and six. Um, but it looked a lot different on the field. You could just see that team. They were all competitive losses. They were very, like, close, every single loss that they had. So you get the sense, like, okay, this team is improving. Like, and, and I don't know how that um, resonates with recruits because they tend to be a little more sports center box score mm-hmm. superficial. Like, did you actually watch the game? Like, I'm talking to you about the game, and it's like, you know, you were at the game, dude. What were you doing? Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> probably in your phone half the time. Didn't you talk um, to someone who was at like the Oregon State blowout or something? Like, I had a great time. Yeah, I mean that happens too. <laughs> yeah, where it's just like oblivious to what's going on and, and what have you. They're kids. I mean, they're, they're, they're still kids. And, and that's why, you know, you have to sort of omit some of the things that they say, because they don't really know how that, how that kind of reads, you know, for the adult that's on the peristyle and the hardcore fans that are like reading every single thing and, and, and dissecting it and going, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? And he said, Oh, he said, he said us, I think he meant us is in USC, right? So he's giving it away. You know, everybody's just trying to figure out uh, the the reading between the lines. Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely those kids that are a bit oblivious to those things. But I think seven wins it does depend on sort of the losses. Um, but still, man, I it, I I get the sense like you win eight games and that's like a big accomplishment. You only win seven and it's underwhelming and it puts you behind the eight ball with maybe some guys that you would think locally like, Oh yeah, you know, they're going to go to USC. They're going to end up at USC right now. We're talking about, you know, right now, you know, people are penciling in this, this class for USC and they've got, you know, Oh my gosh, you know, how, how many receivers are we taking in this class? How many offensive Like it's a, like it's a problem, you know, like, well, let's, let's, uh, let's kind of get to the season first and see what the product is on the field. And if they're able to build some momentum specifically towards the end, when you get you know closer to the early signing period, how that shapes up, you know, receivers. Yeah. There's, there's questions as to, you know, how many receivers that will take. I find it interesting. You're just penciling in Brandon Enos as a guy that even with seven wins, USC is going to get. I hear Alabama is, is still, you know, fighting for him and, and making that interesting. I, I think USC leads right now, but I mean, with seven wins, man, you got Alabama down there. You got uh, a resurgent Florida, Miami. I think Miami, you know, with, with Crystal Bowl, we know he can recruit. He lost uh, Brian McClendon, who was kind of his ace uh, wide receivers um, uh, coach. And he's now at, at Georgia. So Georgia, expect Georgia to uptick a bit with the receiver recruiting. So I'm sure Georgia will be on it. So I don't know if I would necessarily put Enos in that seven win group. Um even with his his relationship with the coaching staff, I think that there's potential there that he could go somewhere else under seven wins. Fair enough. Fair enough. We just have to see how good or how bad those seven wins look. Yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be for, for us, 
You know, right. I mean, that's going to be for the fans and, and I think more of, of okay, is, is this team actually getting better? You know, how much have they improved at certain positions? What's the pen- penalty situation like? Can they actually run the ball? Can they be balanced offensively? Uh, what do they look like tackling? What do they look like in the front seven in the offensive line? Uh, tackling in space um, in terms of the play calling, you know, are, are, are there are there any issues defensively as to, okay, you know, they should have run cover two there because this corner is getting beat. Personnel decisions, you know, we're going to see sort of how they use those linebackers. And is it kind of more of the same with the outside linebackers edge position that we saw with Tart Orlando? It's a different, really a different scheme, but in terms of alignment, you might see some similarities. So all of that kind of stuff. It's, um, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out once you actually get those guys on the field. And, you know, like we said with this past prospect elite day, those kids actually got to see, you know, guys on the field, Christian Pierce, you know, talking to him about the safety position, the defensive back position, and uh, a guy that we're all a big fan of. He he said Max Williams was the guy that was a standout in the secondary, uh, which is great news. Coming back from a, uh, from another ACL, um, you know, Max, who's just like against all odds really is a defensive back. You know, when you look at his size, and yet, you know, came to USC and was, was such a great contributor. Um, and, yeah, early returns in the first padded practice, uh, he was the guy out there making plays. And so um, that's good news for USC to see uh, some of those guys that uh, have been injured coming back. And uh, sounds like just in general there's a lot less guys on Rehab Island. That was a big criticism of Clay Helton, that he was, you know, coaching uh, not to lose and, and knew that if his star players were hurt, that – that they were in trouble that <laughs> they did, you know, they couldn't out talent those other teams. And it seems like, you know, uh, Lincoln Riley's just pushing a little harder to get his guys on the field and, and guys have to buy in to get on the field as well. That's a big thing. Yeah. Rehab Island is definitely in danger of, you know, you know, business was good under Helton and now the resorts kind of dried up a little bit, not as many reservations, you know, not timeshares aren't filling up over there. So you're kind of worried about what's going to happen if some, Someone's going to have to buy that island out and make it something different because definitely a lot less uh, inhabitants uh, these days, at least what we've seen in the the first, what, four practices or the three we've actually watched. So definitely something to keep monitoring. And Lincoln Riley said himself, we're pretty healthy early on here. So they're knock on wood. They're they're uh, they're hoping that continues throughout uh, spring. Uh, Gerard, are you ready and for some spring? That's that's spring. Just to interject, that's spring ball, which. Mm-hmm was kind of a exposition. Uh, uh, I'm going to I, I just thought exposition because it's off of exposition. Um, and exploratory. I'm, no, it, it was a, is it exposition? No. Why am I screwing this word up? I thought experience. No, <laughs> it, 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 it was, a, it was epidemiologist. I, I'm just gonna, I'm going to leave it. Uh, it was not important to USC whatsoever it seemed like spring ball was just a thing that they did you know they had the week on then they were off then they had another week where they were trying to get back into things and it was just it just it it, they were just out there there was so little competitive periods so little content it was just one of those things where it was like i mean it felt like the whole team was on rehab island some of those uh spring ball you know practices and it just there wasn't a lot that you got from it or you felt like the team got from it. And so um, it uh, it's changed a lot, you know, and, and it certainly has to with, with Lincoln Riley. He knows he's under the gun here 
of getting this team together. And specifically with these transfers, you, like I said, you got to get these guys on the same page. So, I mean, it's going to mean more to him um, at this point in time. You've got new install. You've got a new scheme. Um, so it, that makes sense that it's going to be more important. But the fact that everybody is, is playing and there's just, uh, you know, more contribution and everybody's competing is a good sign, uh, especially in spring ball, because I mean, that type of, I mean, shoot, that type of uh, contribution and in, in participation was probably not even seen in some of the fall camps. Like we would start fall camp sometimes and there'd be, you know, five, six guys over on rehab Island. It's like, but this is the first day of fall camp. <laughs> And you and you've got five guys over there, like six guys. What what are we doing here? And and you know that's that's no bueno. You can't have that. And uh, that was a big criticism again, sort of the philosophy I think that he had, and and not you know making sure that his star players were playing. Well, whether they knew where they line up or not was was a second you know <laughs> secondary concern. It was just get my best guys out here because that's what's gonna get me to those eight nine wins. And we hope to see you out there, Gerard. I know people are excited for your newcomer notebook that you do every fall and sometimes spring. So hope to see you out there soon. Um, are you ready for some questions? Yes, let's let's go. Let's 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 do the do here with uh, with questions. Hopefully, we didn't uh, overlap on too much stuff. I, I try to keep it uh, simple, but. Again, if you have questions for us, you can go to podcasts. You can send us them. You can send them to us at podcasts at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite or there for us, me and Gerard, um, on there because all the questions go there for every uh, uh, podcast. Uh, Tom at Winkle Tommy uh, asked us this How much does the Nico to Tennessee commitment affect Connerly's decision? My understanding is that and it, it is an my understanding is that as an SC Oregon battle for the big man would love to see him as the sixth man in the rotation just off the top. I don't think it has any effect on him. Um, I don't, I, I feel like maybe the implication is that Nico and Josh are boys in some sense, or maybe they're selling the idea of blocking for Nico. I don't, I don't know that to be the case, but I don't think it affects uh, Josh whatsoever. No, I don't, think i don't know is tennessee i don't know if tennessee's even in his group of whatever yeah, he's they're, down they're to. in there <laughs> yeah so i don't know i mean maybe if you're replacing uh you know battle for the big man with battle for the bad man you know tennessee becomes a, a player for him but haha is a joke um yeah no i tennessee's not involved with <laughs> with josh connerly jr Anthony NLA asks, hey guys, transfer portal question, is interior offensive lineman Bo Taylor from UCLA an option for the Trojans? I kind of looked into this when I was kind of going through the transfer portal back in like January, February, uh, because Bo is still in there. I don't think so, just because I feel like if he was, he'd already be on the team at this point. And he has more center experience, and I feel like what USC and Lincoln Riley are looking for are guards specifically with the interior and more tackle. Um, I know he does, he can play guard, uh, but he seems more situated as being a center. And obviously he is the older brother of Jake Taylor, who was an Oak or was an Oklahoma commit under Lincoln Riley and kind of stuck with the class. So maybe it's kind of a situation where, Oh, maybe we don't want to go, you know, kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like you, he's stuck with Oklahoma. Maybe they didn't follow Lincoln Riley. Maybe they should just, you know, let it be 
let bygones be bygones with that recruitment and that family. So that's just, I have nothing on that, just something I thought about given their, their connections, you know, obviously his brothers. Um, but I do not believe he is an option for USC at the moment. Yeah, I don't, I haven't heard his name come up uh, at all either. Terrence Green asks, glad to see that USC is focusing on recruiting big guys. Of these four offers, can you please pick two that USC has the best chance of getting? Uh, that would be defensive end Eno Etta out of Texas, Cameron Brandt, uh, the four-star local guy out of Sierra Canyon, Kelsey Howard out of, uh, I believe, the three-star out of Arizona, and then Terrence Green, the recent uh, the three-star, six-foot-five defensive lineman who visited uh, over the weekend. Um, just off that list, I would probably pick Cameron Brandt and Terrence Green. Yeah, so Terrence Green asked, asked this question as well. So he's oh is, no is no Terrence uh, Green. That that is the oh that I don't see. There's no one's name, so I I oh, okay. I, 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 <laughs> I messed up there. Terrence Green did not ask the question. <laughs> that is one of the options. My mistake. Um, I was gonna say that's pretty telling. Huh? That's a little interesting. He's, he's, he's sending questions in, like, who do you think will be David's online class, including me? So Terrence Green did not um, ask this question. I have no idea who asked this question, but that was in our mailbox. Yes, I would agree with you on that. Just because Terrence Green took an unofficial visit. Now I don't know where Terrence Green really falls on USC's board. I mean, he's a big body. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a big defensive tackle. Um, really kind of down the line. I think he's, you know, 265 right now, but a kid that looks like he could probably be a guy that's going to put his hand in the ground to be 285, 290 um, by the time he's, you know, in college. So I would say him potentially. Um, Kelsey Howard, I didn't get to speak with him at Under Armour. Mm-hmm. I don't know who did. Did you, did you talk to him? That was Shotgun's Shotgun. interview. Yeah, I, I again, I'm not sure – how that board is really stacking up for USC on the interior. There's a, there's a lot of offers there. There's some guys that haven't really talked to too much recently. And I think they're just kind of trying to sort out like what they're looking for, what they want. Um, certainly it's, it's an interesting thing when you're talking about the defensive line, because you saw the success that Alex Bridge had at Washington state with smaller players. And there was kind of a conversation about this on the Peristyle yesterday where they were talking about uh, Stanley Taofu and some of the players that are there and, and his size, you know, relative to some of the other players that they could have um, playing in the middle. And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, one of the things with Grinch that he did really well is, is use undersized linemen and move them around a lot. And I think that was kind of a little bit of a struggle at Oklahoma because at Oklahoma you tend to have bigger linemen, but they're not fast. They're, they're really more of the body catcher type of offensive linemen that are gap eaters and not necessarily a lot of guys that are the athletic type of guys that you're going to get, at least on the interior. You can get some athletic guys off the edge, but for the most part, you get a lot of five techniques and a lot of guys um, that are just uh, sort of big bodies. And so now he has an opportunity to recruit probably more athletic defensive linemen. Does he go that route? And does he, does he want to have some guys that might be smaller guys playing on the interior? Um, or does he go with the bigger bodies because you can get those as well? You know, it's sort of at Ohio state, they were successful, but you know, he was like a co-quarter in Ohio state. I don't know how much say he had over personnel from that standpoint, you know, here at USC, he's got complete say over the type of players they are looking for, 
Uh, Sean, Nua, obviously at Michigan, bigger bodies, again, probably more in line with what they did uh, at Oklahoma. So, you know, because you can recruit those bigger bodies, do you go there or do you go back to your roots and do you play guys like Stanley Tafu who have the the ability to be a little more quick and use them more for, um, you know, just, just twists and stunts. I mean, we saw Earl Barquette, you know, his, his film at TCU, I mean, he is the prototypical guy for that defense because of how much he can move. Um, and he's a 280-pound guy. You know, he, yeah. he's not a small guy. And, and Tafu is, I think he's listed at like 290 or something now. So they're not big guys, but they're incredibly agile and they have good lateral speed. And that sort of fits the scheme. They they don't want guys taking up blocks. Like, that's not what this scheme does up front. And that's where it really differs from Todd Orlando's defense. I mean, you're still with three down linemen a lot and even two down linemen a lot, but those guys are going to be moving all over the place. They're going to be going, you know, two gaps over on the twist stunt and forcing the offensive line to have to move with them. Um, so we'll see. You know, we'll see sort of how that shakes out. But I, to answer the question, I, I would agree with you um, right now, I would go with those two guys as being probably having um, the, the best chance at signing right now, for sure. Klain or Klon? I, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. Uh, what say in the two-star host about Carlsbad QB Julian Sayan? Any real USC interest? Uh, Carlsbad High School and USC alum wants to know. Um, this is someone we uh, alluded to when we were talking about the 2024 West Coast QB class. Uh, Julian Sane was offered under the previous staff. And, you know, obviously those crystal balls have come in for Dylan. Um, and as we've, we've kind of touched on this topic of, you know, you say this guy's my guy or you're only going after you. So I would say right now, you know, I think early on there was some USC interest, you know, before this Riley staff came on. And Riley sort of pinpointed the quarterback he wants in 2024. I was a big, I'm a big Julian Sayan fan. Um, I know Graham Harrell was a big Julian Sayan fan. That's why he offered him. And, you know, that was kind of, you know, if Graham had stuck around, I'm assuming that would have been the play for 2024 in Sayan. But right now it seems more all Dylan moving forward. Yep. I mean, that's, that's how it looks. So yeah, I, I concur. Rapid fire. <laughs> That's the quickest you'll ever hear Gerard do a question. Um, Eric in Duck Country, at what point does a recruiter stop rec- contacting a recruit? There are only so many hours in the day, and at some point it makes sense to devote more time to a recruit that has higher likelihood of committing to your school. Thanks. Um, That's probably a perfect question for you, but I feel like every good recruiter at least sort of kind of doesn't cut anyone off completely and kind of keeps the the fires going a little bit even if even if it's like not you know super you know all the time hitting them up but at least keeps the the line open uh for whatever reason yeah i think uh, kyle mcdonald is a great example of that with cedric baxter jr um he basically said one of the reasons why i have interest in usc is because when he was at utah i cut utah out they weren't a part of my list anymore and Kyle McDonald kept recruiting me he stayed in touch and I think that's where you have to transition as a recruiter that is talking about football and you have to transition into being uh, a a bit of a mentor and you sort of 
evolve into that to keep your foot in the door as a recruiter. And then you never know. You just never sort of know keeping that relationship open and not shutting the door on it. And that goes even more now because of the transfer portal and the fact that, you know, your relationship with those players, even beyond them signing, not just committing, but signing, uh, knowing that, you know, it's like it, you, you stop things on good terms because you can't, you know, legally have contact. You can't keep recruiting a player, but you know, there's gotta be communication and dialogue. If, uh, a certain coach, you know, had a really good relationship with that family and with that kid. And it might come back to where, you know, the kid decides oh, I'm going to transfer and you have a good relationship with that player. And that plays a huge role in a lot of these transfers. I mean, you see the, the big time transfers, a lot of these guys, they're in the porthole for like 24 hours and all of a sudden it's like, boom, they're already going to a school. That's because they have pre-existing relationships at some of these other schools. Well, and that's so, like with Stanford's Austin Jones, he told me, you know, he had a, a good relationship with Kyle McDonald out of high school. It was them in Utah, Stanford and Utah were his top two schools. It was very close. He said at the end, you know, he told coach McDonald, like, I, I, I'm sorry, but it's not Utah, it's Stanford. But McDonald was like, you know, I get it. I understand, you know, wish you the best. And they kind of still sort of kept that bond. And that's why it was so easy for him to make the choice for uh, USC with, with McDonald on the staff. So you never know how it's going to play out kind of full circle kind of deal with these guys these days with the portal and everything. Yeah, exactly. Which kind of plays into this next question. Um, uh, I don't have a name on this one, but they say they really enjoy our show and more generally your coverage of these first few months of Lincoln Riley's time at USC. Keep up the good work. My question pertains to our new coaching staff, which seems to strike a great balance between recruiting prowess and veteran coaching acumen outside of Riley is there any coach in particular that you've heard about while covering the recruiting trail before their time at USC that fans should be particularly excited about my first thought would be Dennis Simmons and the work he did with at OU with Relique Brown Makai Levin and etc similarly are there coaches who you were less familiar with before they started at USC but have impressed you thus far if so who um for that just for me in that latter part I think coach McDonald someone I've been impressed with just, you know, talking to recruits that he's talked to and running backs he's recruiting. And that story you told about Cedric Baxter, how they were out of it, but he came back aggressively, you know, recruiting him and were able to get him on campus for a visit and sort of get back into the mix for him. I think that for me is Kyle McDonald. Um, that That's someone that has really impressed me so far in his time here at USC. Yeah, certainly. Um, and you know, a guy that we didn't really know about or hear about too much um, previous to coming to USC, uh, but certainly his work at Utah being mentioned uh, quite a bit now that he's at USC. Uh, you see where, you know, now he has that logo. <laughs> he has that brand behind him. He's got those uh, Heismans. A little, yeah, a little, little, little more difficult probably to recruit the running back position at Utah, despite Utah having some some pretty good success uh, in recent years. Um, now he's being able to get in the conversation with some of these guys nationally. So it's going to be interesting to see who they're able to actually get because there's a good group of running backs out there, and he has some good options. Um, you know, who are you able to close with? That's going to be a position that again, I think on the field, ultimately these kids are going to look and see what the production is like. And, and I mean, USC really did not run the ball well 
uh, in the, the, the time that Clay Helton was there. I mean, they did have some bright spots here and there. You know, Ronald Jones was obviously a bright spot for them. Um, but you, you just saw it kind of deteriorating, you know, in terms of the, the success that they had running the ball. And had a little bit of success at the end of the year last year, but it was a foregone conclusion. You're trying to restore that sort of tailback you and against the balance of the offense and knowing, you know, USC is a championship team. It's a balanced offense that they run. So kids want to see that, you know, they want to see, okay, we know what you did at Utah and, you know, you ran the ball well at Utah and I really like you coach. Um, but we need to see sort of what can occur there at USC. What does it look like at USC when you get Travis Dye and you get Austin Jones there and you've got a guy like uh, Darren Barlow, who we're all as a staff very high on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we saw flashes of him last year and thought this guy could be a guy, you know, and, and it seemed like the staff really sold out for Keontae Ingram and that was going to be their guy before he even got on campus. It was almost like with uh, Marcus Ingram, um, the the tight end. Um, is it Marcus Ingram? Am I? Malcolm Ingram. Sorry. Um, wait, am wait, I who, 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 I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of the tight end that came from Texas. I'm, bl- I'm blinking. Uh, uh, Malcolm Epps? Folks. Malcolm Epps. God, Malcolm <laughs> Ingram. Why was they thinking Ingram? Anyways, um, who who I mean, I got the sense, like I talked to multiple coaches during fall camp, and it was just like, Malcolm, Malcolm Epps, Malcolm Epps is amazing. He's going to be great. He's, and, and, you know, maybe he is. Maybe he's, maybe he's going to be great. You know, he's got a lot of potential. There's a lot. I mean, there you see from a talent standpoint, you know, physically he's got a big body. He's got long arms. Um, but they were like sold. He was the guy. You know, there wasn't a lot of competition there, I felt like. And he wasn't showing it in fall camp he didn't show like he was the guy he did, didn't it's like you know you got my trick here but this kid is looking good like he's the one that's showing these these flashes of of really being able to be a playmaker for you and be able to do things and it was no 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 Malcolm Epps Malcolm Epps Malcolm Epps Malcolm Epps and so that um that sort of kind of was the same thing with Keontae uh you got that feel like he was the dude and he was going to be the dude and it didn't really matter what Barlow was going to do. You know, it was like, he, you know, you're not going to get carries over County Ingram. Um, so nevertheless, I think like now he has the potential to be a guy um, and, you know, Kyle McDonald's is going to be able to, uh, to, to, to show, you know, on a more national stage, you know, a bigger stage against the Notre Dame's against UCLA's uh, if USC's winning games, you know, what he can do with those guys, and um, from a development standpoint, you know, he did it at Utah and now he might be able to actually bring it together and get guys that are just that good coming out of high school. And uh, that's exciting. So, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Kyle McDonald's definitely a guy. Um, I think Dennis Simmons was a guy that we heard about, certainly, you yeah. know, beforehand. Like he was a good recruiter at OU, was getting guys at OU uh, and, and had a long development streak at OU where he had good players. Um, that he was recruiting and guys that were there that were maybe, you know, not necessarily the five-star guys coming out of high school, but ended up being very good players for them. So he's certainly a guy. Um, I think Roy Manning is a guy mm-hmm. that we heard about, you know, was, was making waves uh, a bit at uh, OU um, before he got to USC. When he got to USC uh, and we thought maybe he was going to be the quarterback's coach um, instead of Dante Williams, you know, he went down to San Diego and made a big, a big push 
for uh, those two kids, uh, the two cornerbacks out of Lincoln High School, uh, Jaleel Florence and Jaleel Tucker. And that was USC wasn't even on the radar then. And that really ended up hurting them with Jaleel Florence. I mean, ultimately why Jaleel Florence didn't pick USC is because he didn't have a relationship with Dante Williams. And it stuck in the the, the mind of the parents. And, and Jaleel Florence's dad was like, how come you never really pursued us before? You know, you're going to be the guy. We didn't have any relationship. You went after other guys. Now, to be fair, USC already had that cornerback position sort of mapped out um, by the time Jaleel Florence was was committing to Oregon. So, I mean, it, you know, you had uh, Jake Gould. And yeah, you, you, you had Damani. And they were they were going after uh, the kid from Michigan that went to uh, went to Michigan. Um, Johnson, Will Johnson. Um, you, you mean they were, they were working with a group there, and they had some traction with some guys. Earl Little Jr. was even in there that you know we knew was going to Alabama. But you know Dante was confident, and he was like, "Hey man, give me a shot." If if USC wins ten games or eleven games, you know you don't know. You, with a guy like Dante, you don't know. He, he's that good of a recruiter that there's some dudes out there that you kind of dismiss, but with a good season, he could sneak attack on you and end up with a guy. Um, you know, Gentry, Gentry Williams, there's another guy that USC was really in a good position with going into the summer. And it took Lincoln Riley. It took Lincoln Riley to get involved personally to, to reel him back in a bit. And then USC fell apart and it made it very easy. Now he committed, you know, earlier in the process um, and you could kind of see where the momentum was going with OU after he had visited. And, and you know, like I said, Lincoln Riley really got involved and it became, uh, they became alerted holy cow, we need to recruit this kid's staff because Dante Williams is doing a hell of a job. And Clay Elton was involved in that too. And it was USC staff that was really recruiting Gentry Williams. So OU had to sort of combat that with their own um, staff coming in and getting into the to, to the mix and, and Lincoln Riley being more involved and talking to the family and what have you. Um, but so, yeah, I, I think um, Roy Manning was a guy that's name was coming up in those conversations. And certainly when he got to USC initially, it came up. And he's a guy that was edge rushers and he's offered a plethora of guys. There's a bunch of options there. They have good options there. We'll see who they're able to get on campus and, and, and sort of how it filters out as to what they want and what it looks like. I mean, we haven't been able to see a whole lot of practice, unfortunately, to to kind of see what they're what what ends up being that position. You know, is it a Drake Jackson type thing where they kind of got a square pig in a round hole with a guy that probably should have his hand down and he's playing that stand-up defensive end, or are they going to end up with a guy that's more of a linebacker type that's going to be playing that position? Um, is that that we still haven't really figured out yet. Um, but uh, I would say Roy Manning would be the other guy that whose name, um, as a recruiter and recruiting prowess, was already evident uh, coming from Oklahoma. And the final listener question uh running back amari peterson had usc in his top five i don't think he has visited usc to our knowledge he has not uh does usc have a realistic chance of signing him on a recent podcast i believe trevino mentioned that usc had a good shot of signing running back roderick robinson was that a gut feeling or inside information uh in terms of uh roderick that was sort of i have sort of a reference to what they're talking about. I don't know if it was on this podcast or tunnel vision. I think it might've been tunnel vision uh, where I was asked about running back recruits. Um, That was just a gut feeling, just sort of, you know, a local guy, a big type, a big body running back. I think we've talked about before that USC kind of needs 
some bigger backs in that room. Coach McDonald needs some of those those power guys, uh, like a Mark Fletcher type. So that's kind of what my reasoning was for for kind of picking Robinson as a as not a USC lean, but a guy you know that you know maybe could be one of the first guys to commit in terms of that running back room. Okay, so is he coming or is he not, Chris? Okay, I I, <laughs> I, I respectfully decline. Check the pair style. Uh, yeah, I and I don't know a whole lot about Peterson. It's just the name right now. They got to get him on campus and uh, you know kind of develop a, a relationship with him. And you know we're kind of seeing what the running back board looks like. Again, we were talking a little bit about. Um, just, you know, Kyle McDonald and him, you know, being able to sort of uh, spread his wings a little bit, you know, as to the, the, the guys he can get, you know, this is the first time where, you know, he's recruited all these guys. Like it, it sounds like, you know, at Utah, he was still nationally trying to get his foot in the door with as many players as possible. Um, but this is the first time where he's going to have potentially uh, a shot at really getting those guys, you know, guys like Mark Fletcher, Cedric Baxter Jr., um, we know that uh, that Ruben Owens is going to unofficially visit USC. I got to check in with Ruben Owens actually and see if he's going to come out for the spring ball uh, game. That he's, he that was kind of where he was penciling in because he he had a trip planned out here and had to cancel it because he was ill. Uh, they want to get out here before an official visit over the summer. So and that would be big. I mean, you want he's already unofficially visited. Um, it would be big to get him out at USC again at some point. Um, before taking the official visit now that's that's a that's a battle and a half to get him away from texas i mean texas is all in like they are going to do everything possible they can to get ruben owens but you know what again we go down to, to you know, we're talking all these though during the summer and he may make a decision probably ends up probably make a decision before the summer a lot of these kids want to do that but then you have the the other shoe drops <laughs> it's the season and that's how these teams play it's like is sark going to get it together at texas like, I mean, all this stuff to do with NIL and all this stuff, it's great. It's awesome, man. But you go out there and you win seven games again and you look as bad as you did last year, Texas is going to struggle, man. It's going to be hard for them to be able to get uh, some of these guys. They're going to lose some dudes. Um, and, and the same, you know, is not necessarily true for USC because they're kind of coming from a different spot, you know. Sarkeesian takes over a program that they're, they're, there's high expectations, but they weren't bad, bad. USC was bad, bad last year. And that, maybe that was like the good thing that comes from it is that they were so bad that that margin of improvement is is going to be great. Almost, you know, you win seven games, you're winning three more games and you did your bowl eligible. You weren't bowl eligible last year. Like it's not sexy winning seven games, but it's it's still a big step. And let's say let's say you win seven games and you play really well in the bowl game. I mean, you go out and you got that month of practice and you actually use the 15 practices that you get <clears throat> or whatever it is. I don't know. What is it? 15, pra- 15 it is practices 15. for it's 15. Ball. It's 15 for the bowl game too. Um, and you actually use those practices and you get better and you go out and you play a team and, and maybe you get, and you're lucky and it's a traditionally good team. You end up playing, you know, in the holiday bowl or something. And, and, and I don't know if it'd be holiday bowl, Alamo bowl, probably holiday bowl. Cause it's in the holiday bowl, the third bowl. Now it's Rose bowl, Alamo, then holiday. I believe so, right? Isn't that the, the, the pecking order now? I believe so. I believe your math is correct on that. So, so I mean, that could be you could, with the, how bad the Pac-12 is. You could be a seven-win team and end up in the Holiday Bowl, and maybe you play Nebraska or you play somebody there that's, that's a, you know, and, and 
even though Nebraska has done nothing over the past however many years, it's still like a traditional power, and, and, and kids look at that, and, uh, you know, you, you end up playing really well, and you blow them out. You know, that that can be uh, very good. You know, you get that right around – well, see, that happens – see, that game would happen after the early signing period. So maybe that doesn't play as much. I'm thinking about that. The bowl games, they just don't have the same sway as they used to because they're mostly played after that early signing period. Um, but, you know, if you end the season well and you're able to do those things, you're coming from a different place than Texas is. I mean, I guess my point is Sark's got to get together. They got to go, they got to go beat Oklahoma and they got to go win nine, 10 games this year. Like they really do. Cause they were bad last year and it just looked like the team quit on them. And that's a new coaching staff. Like that's not a good thing when your team looks like they're quitting on you and you put all this money into a brand new coaching staff. That's like if Lincoln Riley goes and they win five games or six games next year and they get blown out and like three or four of those games, that's bad. That's not a good look. That's you do not want that. You do not want to lose to Kansas. <laughs> so that's, so the, yeah, there's some pressure on Texas right now. And so everybody's like, Hey, you know, we're going to go to Texas. Elijah Robinson's going to go to Texas. You know, and they're, you know, it's like, well, Texas got to win some games. You know, they're, they're a team that's actually in a weird spot where they've got a pretty new coaching staff and people are already kind of looking at their watches like, Sark really the guy there? Is he really going to get it done? And if they don't win the right number of games, there's going to be a lot of pressure. It's going to, he could end up on the hot seat like way fast. Um, and, and Tom Herman ended up on the hot seat, I think, faster than a lot of people realized he was going to either. So um, that's an interesting situation. Um, we'll see how that running back, that, that, that whole, that board shakes out. Cause they got to take two guys You could say that year after year, but this is the first year where they, they could get two quality guys and they need it. And so, yeah, there's the bigger backs that they're, that they're toying around with. And I think, you know, Roderick Robinson is definitely there. They're looking at maybe, you know, is Fletcher ahead of him is, is I think Baxter is definitely at the top of the board there. Um, but Baxter's, it's going to be tough to get him away from the Florida schools. He liked it out here, great relationship and all, but, uh, th- there's going to be a lot of competition there. Uh, and he's going to be up at those schools a lot. You know, it's like, it's great to get him out here for an unofficial visit, but you know, he's been to Florida a bunch of times now, and he's going to be at Miami probably even more. That's, that's tough. That's, you know, you're working against those 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 relationships being built and the family being there and being comfortable as opposed to coming across the country and uh you know just you know doing it on an official visit and what have you so that's what they're working against it's going to be interesting to see what what who's who's the other running back you know what's what's the other the the sort of lightning uh to that thunder you know and, and obviously they've got Raleigh Brown and Raleigh Brown's going to be there and that's going to be part of that but if you want to bring in this year you want to get two quality guys you sort of have to probably play them off each other a little bit. So that guy hasn't really, uh, really hasn't jumped out yet to us. Um, I, I don't think, you know, I mean, Justice Hayes is there. Um, you've got, you know, a, a couple players there that they're recruiting that could potentially be those guys. I mean, we thought Tybal Rogers maybe might be one of those guys and he turned around uh, and he commit early. So we'll see. Um, how that works and we'll see if there's guys that you know end up maybe you know Trayon Webb was a guy that we thought USC might have a a, a decent shot at and then they didn't I think make his top seven or 11 or something like that after he told me he was going to try to make an official visit out here so you don't you don't know man things can change pretty quickly 
come for USC recruiting stay for Gerard's diatribe on Texas football. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, those are all our questions. That is the end of the show. This is by far the longest show we've ever done, and we're only on uh, what episode three of this of this podcast? So, are they just going to get longer, Chris? Are we? Are, I, are we... They slow. They're slowly. First one was I was like, okay, it's really long. Second one was like, people were like, just let them go. So I went, and it was supposed to be shorter, and it ended up being longer than the first one. And now this yeah, one, it was just. I got a sore throat. <laughs> this one just went. You're under the weather, and you still put in two hours. We're we're over. We're a two hour podcast. So I'm cutting the question uh, for this week. Um, so you get a break, a reprieve. It's still my question for next next time. So, um, yeah, this has been a fun podcast. Thank you for the questions, anyone that submitted a question. Uh, and you said we weren't going to have a lot to talk about. And we ended up doing two hours. So good show yeah, all around. Rambly, it was definitely more rambly. And, yeah, my head is a bit, like, you know, kind of stirred up a little bit. But, um, yeah, no, it was, it was fun and and. I think it's good to just to to always throw out like the hypothetical questions and things because we're both you know talking to a bunch of different kids and, and getting vibes i think that there's there's a lot to be cleaned there from uh you know for the, for the fans you know that want to sort of know what's happening what are the conversations what's going on i think that's you know an important thing it's it's fine for me just like to answer questions or for Ryan to just fire out questions or, or certain topics that we want to talk about. But I think it, there's a lot of stuff there um, that people get when we just talk about those conversations, those interviews that we do and sort of where our head is at, you know, from our perspective of, of like, okay, what could happen? You know, what, what, what are the hypotheticals? And, and for the first time in a long time, we don't have the black cloud of the head coach. Is he going to be there next year? Like that, that's something that's been plaguing USC for a long time. Like Absolutely. The lack of stability. And when we talk about what's going to happen during the season being, well, is that coaching staff going to be there next year? Like that's a bigger question than, well, how many games are they going to win? It was how many games are they going to win? Because if they don't win this many games, is Clay Helton going to get fired? And that, you know, and we saw with the 2022 class, how that is a huge impact on everything. So it, it was almost futile to sit there and talk about hypotheticals as to, what the recruiting class class could look like because it's like well they learn they lose the first you know two out of four games <laughs> they who I mean throw the recruiting class out we're getting the uh, the coaching search hot board out you know at that point um, but now we know Riley's going to be there uh, how successful he's going to be is the question and but it's a lot easier to to sort of talk about those hypotheticals and I think you know that's where people are at right now um, how good can the class be. And that seems like a good ending point for episode number three. I'm Chris. That's Gerard. Thank you for listening to The Composite. And we'll see you soon. And, you know, possibly we're talking about a, a big new shiny commit the next time we're, we're, we're together, Gerard. So thank you for checking us out. Stay tuned for next time. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.